The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WNKU, Northern Kentucky University, its staff, management, or board of regents. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. And now, your host, Vena Jones-Cox with Real Life Real Estate Investing on WNKU. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing where this week, as every week, we're putting you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And our topic today is one of the two that one must always discuss. We don't do death too much here on Real Life Real Estate, but taxes are a, are a for sure thing that we try and try and get in here two, three times a year because it is an issue that... Uh, Every entrepreneur and heck, every American needs to be paying closer attention to. There's uh, a saying out there in the real estate industry, and and I think probably in small businesses general that in general that uh, like it or not, you got a partner, and your partner is Uncle Sam, and Uncle Sam is usually uh, the source of your number one expense as a real estate investor, small business person, or for that matter very often as a worker. So today we're going to talk taxes and we're really here to uh, give you tax advice on uh, specific issues that you might have concerns about. But before we can do that, of course, you need to call us at 859-572-7897. Or if you're listening via the Internet, email us at radio at nku.edu. My guest today, as as I personally would never dare tackle the very complex topic of taxes on my own, is Chuck Vonderhaar. Chuck has been a CPA for 28 years and is here with us today because he has the secondary qualification that he has also been investing in real estate for 26 years. As the two-time past president of Cincinnati RIA, he sort of developed a niche in helping real estate entrepreneurs and landlords to plan and prepare their taxes and uh, also does some the state and financial helping along of those same sorts of folks and um, is joining us today to talk taxes. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you. It's good to be here. Chuck, I, ha- I have to ask you a question. You have a very unusual last name, Vonderhaar, <laughs> V-O-N-D-E-R-H, and then two A's in a row, A-A-R. Right. Where did that go? Are you Dutch? Are you? Where, 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 where uh, did my you my great-grandparents came over from Germany many years ago. Oh, any I idea mean, what that means? No, no. Every time no. I hear your name, I start singing that song, One Wunderbar. <laughs> we still have relatives with the same name in Germany. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today, Chuck. I think I think we need to start out with um, something that, that caused a little bit of a flurry of emails in the real estate world about <laughs> two months ago, and that was uh, there, there's this new legislation that's that's been proposed uh, that has a whole lot of things that a whole lot of people are upset about, but the... The main thing that our real estate friends um, seem to lock in on was it looks like this legislation, if passed, 
is going to eliminate maybe both the home interest deduction on our mortgages, the home mortgage interest deduction, and also mortgage interest on properties that we buy for investment. What's going to happen with this, in your opinion? Uh, my opinion, I don't think that'll go through. Uh, Congress uses the tax code to influence the economy. Uh, you know, the trend we're seeing today is they're doing more encouraging people to save money, you know, because they've increased the IRA limits. They're also doing things for uh, savings for college. And I think if you look at the mortgage interest deduction, that's a big deduction to a lot of people. It's also very near and dear to a lot of people. Uh, also, I think we'd have to look at what would that do to the economy? Would buying in, uh, the buying of a bigger home or more expensive home be as uh, feasible or as attractive if we couldn't deduct all of our mortgage interest? I personally don't think it'll go through. Um, again, you know, Congress p- proposes or different um, representatives in that propose umpteen different tax bills and probably very few ever make it through. This one I don't think will go through. Mm-hmm. But, again, we never know. Uh, you know, they could put it through with some kind of a limit, but I, I doubt very much if we'll see it. And there are some very powerful forces aligned mm-hmm. against it. I know as a, uh, I'm also a, a member of the National Association of Realtors who, of course, are just Yes. Bent out builders. of shape about this. What about the home builders? I think the home builders would uh, send a few lobbyists to, to uh, Washington to, to kind of fight that. Yes, and national, the National Real Estate Investors Association, yes. of course, <laughs> is very much against it, as is their new uh, their new national legislative arm, which is called uh, NARI, the National Association of Home. I can't remember what it stands for, but anyway, it's a it's it's a it's a sort of a legislative thing for. Uh, real estate investors, which is, by the way, long overdue, and a lot of those, um, a lot of those groups have very powerful packs. And as as we have gotten closer to the making of laws than maybe <laughs> we want to uh, have seen, it's really, really the the big money is what controls a lot of this. I, I would think if this were to be seriously considered by Congress, I would think the, the Home Builders Association would have a very, very, very strong lobby. Lobbying yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and and the Bankers Association too, because it's going to be a lot less attractive to refinance yes. a home when you yes. can't. Yeah. Yes. So uh, pro- probably I I think I have to agree with you on this that this is just too big a hot potato for <laughs> any any <laughs> congressman who wants to be reelected. <laughs> it's sort of like flat tax. We hear about it, but then it seems to kind of go away. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think we'll see it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure that's good news for many of our listeners. Our, our numbers here in the studio again are eight five nine five seven two seven eighty nine seven eight five nine five seven two seven eighty or you can email us at radio at nku.edu. I'm sure there's a lot of folks that, even through all the Christmas shopping that they're worrying about right now, have started to think about the fact that as of midnight on December 31st, it's too late to do anything about your 2005 taxes. And there's some there's some good things we're going to discuss today about uh, how to think about minimizing those right away. And uh, um, if you have questions about that, 859-572-7897. Um, now, Chuck, one of, the, one of the questions that comes up over and over again with real estate folks, be they realtors or be they uh, landlords, people who fix and sell houses and so on, has to do with uh, home office deductions because uh, many of us work out of our homes in our little real estate business that we have. And I remember a number of years ago, I was told to avoid the home office deduction like the plague because Correct. it was going to be a real audit risk. Is that 
is that still the case, or is the home office actually something we ought to be taking? No, I think uh, for the real estate investor, you need to seriously look at taking the home office deduction. That's true. Probably 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, the home office deduction was very limited. Very few people qualified. In the last 5 to 10 years, there have been a number of court cases regarding home office that have relaxed the rules, and I think a lot of people now qualify uh, you know, anybody that works at home, and if that's their main place of business, I think would qualify for the home office deduction. The other issue with the home office deduction, there's a court case a year or two ago that dealt with a handyman who worked out of his house, and he lost the battle on the home office deduction, which then meant that his mileage from home to the first stop was uh, was personal commuting. So as a real estate investor, one of the issues we may have is if we do not have a home office when we back out of the driveway and head down the street to our first stop or the first rental, is that's personal commuting. So if I drive 20 miles one way to my first rental, uh, that's personal commuting, and then be personal commuting on the way back. Mm-hmm. And that's that 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 issue of personal commuting yeah, may not seem like a, a a big deal to people who haven't looked at it very closely, but um, what you're referring to there is we have certain deductions that we're allowed to take uh, by the mile on travel that we do for business and um you know there's there's some folks like salesmen who may get reimbursed for that by their company but when we are the company when we have the company we can write that off and and they're 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 fairly generous i mean i see see from your write up here that they've actually gone up some since the beginning of 2005 what is the current uh rate for mileage well the mileage uh rate there's there's really three different uh, rates in effect for 05 and 06 from January 1 of 05 to August 31st of 05, you were allowed 40.5 cents per mile. Due to the high price of gas, uh, Congress decided in the summer to increase the mileage rate. So from September 1 to December the 31st of 05, it's 48.5, and then starting in January, it goes to 44.5. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that really adds up. When, yes, when it does. Start, yes, it does. It's when, almost 50 cents a mile. Yeah. When you start looking at, okay, I, I left my house and I went and saw seven properties yes. that I made offers yes. on and then I came home and then I drove to the realtor's office to write. I mean, that you, you, you probably, if you're in this business, even part-time, have thousands of miles a year that you can write off at close to 50 cents a piece. And um, uh, talk just briefly before we take this break about what sort of documentation the IRS wants to see when I say, okay, I'm writing off $500 this year in mileage, what what do I have to show the IRS to show that I had that? The IRS wants to log basically by date, time, beginning and ending mileage and your business purpose for what you're doing. And that can sometimes be supported if you go to the hardware store to buy paint. Uh, you have a receipt to prove that you were at the hardware store. But actually, what ideally what they want is what they call a contemporaneous log, which is the date, the time, the beginning and ending mileage and business purpose. Okay, so New Year's resolution number one for all real estate investors, go buy, buy a mileage log while you're out Christmas shopping because they sell them at the, the, yes, the office do. stores. Yes. Put it in your visor and yes, get and into the habit sure, of writing that down, right? And make sure you're still using it after about the 5th or 6th of January when the rest of your New Year's resolutions <laughs> are out the door. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> all right, thank you very much, Chuck. We are going to take a quick break after which we will talk to Bridget from Harrison and everyone else who has a tax question at 859-572-7897 or via email at radio at nku.edu. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Chuck Vonderhaar, who specializes in... Nope, that's not the right word. He... 
he has made himself a niche. There's this there's this legal thing that you get into with doc with lawyers and CPAs where you can't say the word specializes. It's and I always mess it up. It's not Chuck's fault. If the, if the people who govern CPAs are listening, it's not Chuck's fault. I said that, not him. Uh, but in any case, he, he works with a lot of real estate investors and has been for nearly three decades now working with a lot of, of real estate investors and looking very closely at what their tax needs are and how they can minimize their taxes. And I, I know I say this every time we have a professional on the show, whether it's a, an attorney or a CPA or whatever, but... Please, ladies and gentlemen, let me emphasize one more time that it is so important that if you are going to be in real estate or any other niche, that you find tax and legal professionals who understand that niche. I cannot tell you how many calls I get from students who have gotten horrible advice. Even I recognize it's horrible, not having a law degree. I recognize that it's horrible advice from their attorney who did their divorce and then they called and asked a question about real estate and the attorney really didn't know the answer and guessed at the answer and it was wrong and it's it's just so important that you go to somebody who has experience prior experience um doing the thing the specific thing that you need done because the tax code like the legal code is extremely complex as near as i can tell there are changes that come out on a weekly basis that's that's just you know the 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 view from the ground sort of view that i see because i'll hear it's almost daily (laughs) well i'll I'll hear something about um about uh, entities for instance and six months later I'll, i'll be saying it to someone and they'll say well no actually there was a new case as of last week that says that this is no longer true and it's 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 different in this way and that's another reason to go to a specialist because they make it their business to know those sorts of things. Speaking of entities, we have a caller from Harrison. Her name is Bridget, and she has a question about entities, which is luckily something that Chuck is also familiar with. Bridget, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, thank you. Oh, you're very uh, welcome. Yes, Chuck, I've got a question for you. I'm just getting into real estate investing, and I'm wondering what is the best entity for that? Well, that's a good question, Bridget. There's uh, a number of choices of entities. Generally, we suggest if you're going to buy and hold property that you form an LLC. It can either be taxed individually or as a partnership if you have a spouse. If you're going to do a lot of fix-up and sell or kind of the flip concept, uh, then we would probably recommend an S-corporation. C-corporations are generally used for a management company, and that's usually something that you would maybe want to add down the line. But again, probably starting out, if you're going to buy and hold it as a rental, you would probably want to look at an LLC, and then it would either be taxed you know, individually to you or if you have a spouse, as a, maybe as a partnership. Now, and Bridget, I want to get into that just a little bit more deeply because uh, Chuck is, of course, talking about this from a tax standpoint, from an asset protection standpoint. LLCs and corporations, if you treat them right and you do all the things you're supposed to do, kind of give you equal asset protection more or less it's you know from the from point of view of am i going to be sued it's kind of six of one and a half a dozen of the other it's from the tax standpoints that it gets different and and chuck i understand that the reason that llcs are recommended as a um entity entity, yeah to, to, to buy and hold has to do with the fact that when you buy a property and hold it for tax purposes, you almost always lose money. Correct. And you want that to actually be able, you actually want to be able to write that off against your other income. Right. You want that loss to carry carry through to and, and offset other income. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And corporations are, are treated a little bit differently in that you can't always carry over all of your 
paper loss. And we're, ta- we're, we're, we're talking about you, you can have losses on rentals that aren't real losses. You can put money in your pocket at the end of the year and right. still actually lose money lose money on paper uh, j- just because of the way the code is set up. And that's one of the reasons that real estate is such a, a, a great addition to, to the portfolio of folks. Now, on the flip side of that, the reason that people who are buying and selling, whether that be buy it, fix it, and sell it, or buy it and sell it wholesale, uh, generally want to do corporations, I think, oops, I think we lost Bridget, I think has to do with um, the issue of self-employment tax. Is that the yes. big deal there? Yes, yes. Uh, there's the dealer status, which means, uh, similar to a car dealer, that you buy and sell property for a living. When you get into that issue, then you get into uh, potentially the self-employment issues with the IRS. Mm-hmm. So if if I'm a very successful wholesaler and I made a quarter of a million dollars in 2005, that's pretty much going to put me in the highest marginal tax bracket, or close, uh, d- yes. depend, depending on what my other deductions are. But yes. that means that some of those, some of that money, I'm going to be paying 35 percent to the government just for my taxes. Correct. And if I if I'm taking all this money myself, if it's just Vina doing the deals, I also get to pay. I also get the privilege of paying 15.3% extra for self-employment tax on a lot of that, which puts some of my dollars in like a 50% Tax situation. And I don't think. forget your state. Uh, oh yes, and my state. My, state right, wants a few bucks. Right. And then you, your city might want a few bucks. Right. So what we're doing by putting this in a corporation is we're controlling, we're controlling how much income actually comes to me personally. Correct. It's actually the corporation Correct. that's making all this money. The corporation made two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I didn't make a dime except what the corporation paid me in salary. Correct. And it's only my salary that would be subject to the self-employment tax. Correct. And then, of course, sometimes what you might want to do in that corporation is kind of finagle so that your salary and the corporation both are paid. You know, a similar tax bracket versus one pays, you know, 5 or 10% and the other pays, you know, 30-some percent in tax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that, Bridget, is the tax reason why we do LLCs for uh, one thing and a completely different thing for the buy and hold type of strategies. And, Chuck, whenever you whenever we start talking about uh, this issue of entities, we, we get into a question about uh, what the IRS calls a real estate professional. Right. Because mm-hmm. I noticed that on my tax return, when I'm saying I, I, I get to take this much in deductions or I get to do this or I get to do this, there's this little box I have to check. It says, are you a real estate professional, yes or no? What is a real estate professional? What does that mean? A real estate professional really is a very specific term um, for somebody in the rental business. And basically, that's somebody that spends um, more than 750 hours a year in the real estate business and more than half of their wor- uh, time working. So in other words, if I worked a full-time job as an accountant and I work well, 2,000 hours a year, then I, if I were a real estate professional, I would have to turn around and work at least you know 1,000 hours in the real estate business, um, and then that would entitle me to be a real estate professional. And then what that would allow me to do is deduct losses that I may not be allowed to deduct if I make you know more than $150,000 through my full-time job. Mm-hmm. So the reason that we want to document that we are a real estate professional, we, we, we ideally we want to be able to check yes in that box. Yes, I am a real estate professional. Yes. And the reason we want to document that that is in fact the case, that I've spent X number of hours working on my real estate business, is because if we don't, some of our deductions that we would normally be able to take might be Could be limited. eliminated. Yes, yes. Yeah. eliminated or, well, limited or 
uh, what would happen is they would be carried forward in future years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But generally, if you're generating those losses, we want them this year, well, not five <laughs> years down the road. <laughs> exactly. We want them right now. Yes. All right. Well, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, we will talk to Jake, who may have a little problem with the IRS that uh -oh. you might need to work out with him, <laughs> okay. Chuck. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Our number is 859-572-7897. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Gina Jones-Cox. My guest is Chuck Vonderhaar, CPA, and the number is 859-572-7897. Give us a call with your tax questions. The questions that Chuck and I have decided to discuss are, are relatively basic, so if you want to get more sophisticated, you got to ask the question. 859-572-7897 or radio at nku.edu. Now, let's go to the phones and talk to Jake online, too. He's also in Harrison, and he may have a little problem. Jake, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Well, thank you for taking my call. You're very welcome. Yeah, I'm one of those guys, uh, I've let my business partner down. And uh, I've not been able to uh, give the IRS everything that they want. And uh, I, I always hear these things and see these things on TV where you can call and and uh, settle your debt and and stuff like that. I was just curious if if uh, if that's a good idea to try to negotiate with them if you do fall behind as a result of not being able to withhold from uh, real estate investment. Well, Jake, let me let me ask you a a question, and that is. Does the IRS already know that you've fallen behind? I mean, have you had contacts with yeah. them? Okay. Yeah. So they're they're aware of the situation. They've sent you a bill. They've said, you owe us this, you owe us this kind of penalty, and by golly, pay us or else. And you want to know. All kind of bad things will happen. Yes, and, and you want to know probably, A, how serious they are about that, and, and B, what, what you can maybe do to mitigate some of that. Correct. Okay. Okay. A um, couple options you probably have is, uh, you could do the offer and compromise where the, it's a paper you fill out and basically you tell the IRS you know, what your assets are, what your ability to pay is. They may accept that, and then part of that may also be a compromise on the amount that is due. What I have found in most cases, communication is a key thing. If you stay in contact with the person you're working with, they'll work with you. When you don't live up to what you tell them you're going to do, you, know, you tell them you're going to make a payment Friday and you skip Friday, that's when they're going to lower the boom on you. Uh, the other thing you might do is get somebody, a lawyer or somebody like that, who kind of specializes in negotiating with the IRS. Generally, if they think that you know you have some room to negotiate, you know they'll step forward, go to the IRS, and try to negotiate a deal for you. A lot of that's a facts and circumstances uh, issue. Uh, no two are alike. So again, probably if you have the assets to pay it, they're probably not going to negotiate with you. If you don't have the assets, then they're more willing to negotiate with you. Okay. Now, Chuck, what is the deal with those? I've seen the same things Jake has on TV where they say, we've got all the testimonials about, I owed the IRS $750,000, and then I called this 1-800 number, and I ended up only paying $7.25. Well, are, are, those, are those attorneys offering this sort of service? Uh, yes, but I think the person on the commercial is one of about uh, 10,000 people. The rest of them probably paid 90 percent <laughs> of what they owe. <laughs> so, but there are there are attorneys just all over the country, I assume, who specialize in this kind of thing. Yes, we'll there's also a company. I'm not sure where they're located, but I see their ads in the local papers and you know, like the Inquirer and Post, uh, frequently where that's their specialty. Well, they'll sit down with you, and for a fee, they will negotiate with the IRS. Mm -hmm. And I think those people have done a 
you know, enough times and based on your facts and circumstances can probably pretty much tell you up front what they can do for you. Okay. And, Jake, I have never, knock wood, had to negotiate with the IRS, but I can tell you that in general, um, I find that um, some people are, are, are better negotiators than others, and if you don't feel like you can talk to these folks without... A, losing your temper, B, giving away the farm, or C, messing it up in some other way, it might be worth the fee to have somebody step in there and help you out with it. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Good luck. Thank you for your call, Jake. Our number here in the studio is 859-572-7897. We are taking uh, calls on tax issues, entity issues, etc. Radio at nku.edu is the email address if you'd like to send us an anonymous email with your tax-related questions. Um, Chuck, let's, let's move on to another thing that is, um, uh, is kind of related a little bit to Bridget's question about entities. Uh, most of our listeners here on WNKU are in Ohio and Kentucky, and I understand that there are some specific state regulations that have changed that are new now for us in Ohio and Kentucky. Yes, Ohio or uh, Kentucky has made a uh, massive change starting with the filing of the 2005 tax returns. For each LLC that you have in Kentucky, you have to file what's called a corporate tax return, even though I don't think the return is really the same as a corporation, but you have to file a specific return for each LLC that you have and then you have to pay a minimum fee to Kentucky for each LLC that you have. Now, it's my understanding that if you pay that minimum fee of, I think it's $175, that that fee can be carried over and used uh, on your personal return to offset other withholding or to you know, to, to be included with other withholding. Uh, but it's my understanding that Kentucky is really going to come out in full force and enforce this. So if you have an LLC in Kentucky, not only do you have to file your personal return, you have to file another special return um, for the LLC in Kentucky. Which is something to think about for folks who have their businesses set up in such a way that each individual property is in its own separate LLC. That is one of the things that we sometimes hear recommended um, by various asset protection folks. Um, I happen to think, you know, again, not being attorney, that that's sort of overkill from an asset protection standpoint. And now we have in Kentucky the additional problem that uh, for each one of those LLCs, there's going to be a $175 fee. And those don't tend to go down over time, by the way. Once the state decides uh, no. on that, they don't <laughs> tend to say, oh, well, this year it'll only be 25 bucks. Yeah, and I, I, I thought it was the same thing as, as I, people, you know, here come in and say, I've set up, you know, X number of LLCs, one for each property. And I think if we're in Kentucky, we maybe need to rethink that because for every LLC, we have to file another tax return, and that's going to create a mountain of paper and an, an amount of cost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what is new in Ohio? Well, Ohio came out with this, uh, what they call privilege tax, or the CAT tax, which is a commercial activity tax. And that applies to real estate investors, even though I think a lot of real estate investors think it just deals with retail businesses. Uh, what the Ohio CAT tax is, is a tax similar to, I guess, like a sales tax uh, for any business that does more than $150,000 a year in gross sales. So if I have, a, you know, say 20 rentals and each one generates uh, $10,000 a year in rents, I have to file and pay the CAT tax. Um, and again, the CAT tax is sort of based on sales. And if you're under a million in sales, it's going to be a flat fee. Over a million, it's 0.26% per sale. And again, it's based on gross, not of net. So again, if I, I may have you know two hundred thousand dollars of rental income and lose a hundred thousand, 
but I still have to pay the CAT tax different than the Internal Revenue Service, where if I have 200000 in rents and $300,000 of expenses, I don't owe any money. How did we let that pass? I don't think we knew anything about that. I think that one sort of snuck through. Because the gross and the net in rentals, and, and particularly I'm thinking about our poor retailer friends, yes. the ones who will buy a yes. house for 20 and they'll put 30 in it and then yes. sell it for 70 Yes. I, they've got a $70,000 taxable well, income yes, there. Yes. So if they do you know, two or three of those, they're subject to the cat tax. And again, I think when it first came out, we were under the understanding that you know, the cat tax applied to uh, you know, the Walmarts and the Krogers and those kind of businesses, but even myself as a CPA, I am liable for it. And then the other thing, that the the uh, crazy thing with the CAD tax, it's a consolidated type tax return. So if I do $100,000 in accounting and $100,000 in an LLC with rents, I have to combine those two if I have common ownership of 50% or more. So one of the ways we cannot beat that tax is by setting up separate entities uh, the entity is taxed based on common control. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good one that we should we should set Ohio RIA on working on getting yes. rid of. That's. Uh, and I think a few <laughs> other businesses will be right behind you. Yes, yes, very good. Um, now, George, I have a couple of email questions here. Do we need to take a break before we get into if them? If we could take a break, that would be great. Let's do that. Let's tell them about the backup on 471 again while we're, <laughs> while we're there. 859-572-7897 or radio at edu with your questions. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Fina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Chuck Vonderhaar, CPA. He's uh, been doing that for about 28 years here in the greater Cincinnati area. And uh, Chuck, I'm, I'm guessing at this point you probably have clients from all over the country because I, I, your name just pops up when I, <laughs> when I go to different places. I, they're like, oh, you work with Chuck Vonderer? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do, too. I'm like, you're in Michigan. <laughs> you work with Chuck Vonderer. I guess that's what you get for being a specialist. People want people, people, yes. people to take advantage of you. Yes. Pay you to do things. And it's just terrible. I'm sorry for you. We have a couple of email questions here. And, and I don't know, do we do we need maybe some more information from Jill before we answer yes. her question. Uh, Jill uh, sent us an email having to do with capital gains tax and uh, Jill, if you could if you could clarify this a little bit, we're we're not sure how you acquired he says you it's the question is I sold a property this summer without an acquisition and was told I had to do the capital gains reconciliation. Uh, I researched it and it looks like my capital gains would be five percent. Now Chuck, I think that the lowest Capital gains rate right now would be five percent, but that's for a very, very, you know, the very minimum bracket. Okay. So yes, a, if she has no other income, the capital gains might be taxed at five percent. Okay. So Jill, you could be right, but she says her property's fully depreciated, had been depreciated at straight line, and that was part of the calculation. Isn't there a different capital gains rate on the recapture of yes, depreciation? Yes, that's, that's up to twenty-five percent. Okay. So that's probably going to shoot the five percent gain for her. If that building is fully depreciated, apparently she's had it for quite a while, uh, had the building quite a while, and I suspect there's a pretty hefty gain on that thing. Yeah, my, 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 I think my question maybe has to do with this, this phrase, without an acquisition. Uh, Joe, we don't know if you inherited this property, if it was given to you, if you're working off of somebody else's depreciation. I'm wondering, I, I, I wonder if she means acquisition, the 1031 exchange, or she didn't do a 1031 exchange. That's possible. So, Jill, if you could just 
send us another email clarifying that a little bit. Maybe we can answer your question a little bit more thoroughly. We do have another text question from Mansa, and I, I know Mansa. He's from up in Michigan. Oh, okay. Yeah, one of your one of your fans from the Lower Peninsula there in Michigan. Uh, he says, my LLCs and my S corporation have shown losses for the last three to four years. Am I subject to the hobby rule if I do not show a profit within five years? If this is real estate, no. If it's another kind of business, you could be facing hobby loss rules. No, generally, I find in rental real estate, it's usually it's seven to ten years before you show a profit. Uh, the hobby loss rules, I've never had the IRS question hobby loss rules on rental real estate. Uh, I guess there could be some unusual circumstances where the hobby loss rules could come up, but not for rental real estate. You can show losses really for the 20-some years I've been in it. I think it took me probably close to 20 years before I ever showed a profit. Mm-hmm. And my and dad's been in it for 55 years, and he's still showing a loss every yes, single okay. solitary year. That's so, so uh, yeah, if the, if the issue is that you're, it, it's paper losses from depreciation, Mansa, I don't think you have a problem. Uh, I do think, though, that Mansa is also doing some wholesaling-type deals, retailing-type deals, and so on. Is the fact that he's got these things in an entity going to make it easier for him to not deal with this hobby rule? And I, I should probably describe what the hobby loss rule is, because normally it applies to somebody who's filling out a Schedule C, doesn't it? Right, Schedule C, and a hobby loss rule generally are things like farms. You know, I have two or three horses, and it costs me $15,000 a year to take care of the horses, and... Uh, you know, I have people come in and ride the horses, and I take in two or three hundred dollars a year. <laughs> That's where you get into hobby loss rules. Generally, in real estate, you know, it's considered a business, uh, or, or you know, same as a business. Um, so I would say that the, the hobby loss rules would not apply. And then, especially if he has S corporations, and he, as long as that business is being operated like a true business, the hobby loss rule should not enter into it. Okay, so good news, Mansi. You can. Keep losing money on paper for as long as you want. As long yes, as you and you want. should be uh, <laughs> showing a loss on those, or either that or you need to step back and take a look here at what you're doing. Yeah, buy more rentals. That's, yes. <laughs> that's always a way to show. Or see what deductions you're missing. That's exactly right. As, and as a matter of fact, Chuck, why don't we why don't we go ahead and and talk about some of those deductions because the list. I mean, okay, we could have just sat here and started reading the list at the beginning of the show, and you would not be done yet with all of the different deductions that real estate investors and small business people can take, but um, what are some of the good ones that you see people missing out on a lot? Um, I think cell phone, you know, if you use, if you have rental and you have a cell phone, some portion of that cell phone should be, uh, you know, charged to rental. Uh, what about a computer? If you buy a computer, what about the internet? If you use those things for rental, again, some portion of them should be claimed as part of your rental operation. Uh, dues, education, books, uh, publications, you know, if you get the uh, newspaper or some specific journal that deals with money or with real estate, that would be deductible. What about entertainment? If you and I leave here and stop and have dinner and we discuss taxes or real estate. Sounds good. Uh, yes, it could be entertainment. <laughs> um, again, I think I mentioned the Internet. Mileage, again, you know, if you have rental property, you definitely should be claiming mileage unless you're lucky and sitting home and collecting 12 months of rent and making a few payments and out the door they go. Uh, another thing, what about postage? You mentioned those uh, mortgage payments. What about postage? Uh, if you have rental, again, I would think that you would have some uh, postage expenses. Tools, if you buy tools to work on your rental, uh, those should be deducted. Um, see, what are some of the other ones here? I think I mentioned books and publications. If you buy 
books, you know, the Rich Dad Poor Dad series of books have been pretty popular, the real estate investors. If you're buying those to make investment decisions, then you should be uh, claiming those as a deduction on your tax return. Is it only real estate folks who are really horrible at keeping track of those things during the year, or is it pretty much all small business people? Uh, it's all small business people. I, I, it's I, all small business people, yes. I, I made a um, uh, just, just a practical tip. I, I, I got a little pouch that I put in my purse about two years ago because I realized that uh, yeah, I'll go to the bookstore, and I always get sucked into buying a real estate book. You know, always, 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 no matter what I'm there for. And it may only be a $16.95 purchase, and of course I mean to keep the receipt, but you know, pretty soon it hangs around long enough that it's all faded, and you don't know what it means anymore. So I, I got this little pouch, and when I buy something like that, I just take out a pen and I write, real estate book on the top and I stick it in this pouch. Now every time the pouch gets so big it won't fit in the purse anymore, I take it home and I dump it into that big box. <laughs> but, it, but at least it's there and it's just amazing how much those things add up over the course of the year, how much how much people are paying for with after-tax dollars that they could be paying for with pre-tax dollars, which in the lowest tax bracket anyone's likely to be in means you're saving 15% on the cost of that book. Right. And, and, you know, what I've often told people, if you're going to go out and buy a tool for $100 to use in the rental, and I would think the average taxpayer is probably in a 25% tax bracket, and again, that's just kind of my gut feel. But if you're going to go out and pay $100 for a tool, and, you know, you're using it for rental and it's a legitimate deduction, you're really only paying $75 for that tool. So if you lose that little piece of paper, that's like throwing $25 out the window. Yeah, and if the if the if the tool place had sent me a coupon for twenty five bucks, you better believe I would have held on to that like it was gold. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, very often we don't hold on to these receipts, and it, it, it's 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 amazing how close to tax free you can live as a small business person if you are keeping these things and, yes. and re- recognizing them for what they are. Um, there's one deduction that you did not mention that I hear come up over and over and over again that I, I, I want to hear your opinion on, and that has to do with, with travel and two, two kinds of travel. Number one, if I go to Florida, which sounds like a really good plan at this moment in time, if I, if I go to Florida to go to a seminar about real estate, I know I can write the seminar off. What about the plane ticket? What about the hotel room? What about the rental car and so on? If you're going there specifically for the seminar, then I would say you could deduct it. The issue would be is if you go to Florida and you go to a seminar for a day and you spend six days on the beach, then I think you're going to have problems deducting the full amount. Well, I still needed the plane ticket. Yes, you did. <laughs> but you only used the, the uh, plane ticket for one day and the seminar was the other Six days of the seminar, you were enjoying the beach and uh, personal business. Okay, very good. Now, we need to take one last break, and we can probably squeeze in one more call at 859-572-7897 or an email at radio at nku.edu. If you get on the phone right now, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest is Chuck Vonderhaar, CPA. We have an email here, Chuck, that I am really glad these folks sent. This is from Vince Peterson. I don't know where he's from. Uh, incidentally, y'all, when you send us an email, let us know where you're from because George gets a big kick out of seeing that somebody's from Phoenix. And, <laughs> you know, we've got we've got this, like, listening radius here of 50 miles, and somebody from Phoenix sends an email, and he just he gets tickled by that. So wherever you're from, Vince, um, the question was, uh, what can be done, if anything, when a seller is issued a 1099 after a short sale or when the house is sold in auction after the foreclosure? Now, let me, let me define the question for listeners who don't maybe know what a short sale is. When a seller goes into foreclosure, 
They can't pay their can't pay their bills. Often prior to the actual sheriff's sale or it's called a marshal sale in some parts of the country, the bank, the seller's bank, is willing to take what's called a short payoff on the loan rather than spend the money and the time and so on taking the property back and then remarketing it. So in other words, let's say the debt on the house is 100000 and the seller wants to sell it to me and I only want to pay seventy five. I can go to the bank and say, hey bank, it's smart of you to take seventy five now instead of getting it back and dealing with it for a year and paying all that money. And the bank might say yes, but if the bank says yes, they then have the option of either going after the seller for a deficiency judgment of $25,000 or sending the seller a 1099 form as if he had received income of $25,000 because debt relief to the IRS is the same thing as income. Now, Chuck, I have now asked this question of five separate tax experts, and I've gotten about a 50-50. If you, if, depending on how you answer, it could be 50-50 or at, six the, different <laughs> at the end of this. <laughs> One school of thought goes... If it was the seller's personal residence, there's no tax anymore on a gain from the sale of a personal residence. If they've lived there for two years and made less than the two fifty or right. five hundred thousand. So the so the seller can take that ten ninety nine form and say, Hey, this is the gain from the sale of my personal residence. I don't owe any tax on it. The other point of view I've heard is a ten ninety nine form is not a gain. A 1099 form is income, therefore you must pay taxes on it no matter what the rest of the situation looks like. What do you think? Well, and I've had this situation come up where people have been issued 1099s for whatever reason for the sale of a property. Generally, when you close, you you, you check that box that I've lived there for two years and whatever. But if a 1099 is issued, really, if it's issued in error, you still need to report that 1099 amount on the tax return because that could kick out you know, to the IRS. But what I would suggest, if you know, let's just say the 1099 comes out for 100,000, but you have invested in that house, you know, 95,000, you made 5,000, you would show the sale at 100, the cost at 95, and pay tax on the 5,000. Mm-hmm. Or you know, the thing of it is, if the 1099 is issued an error, and you go back to whoever issued the 1099 and they won't correct it, then what I do is just show the sale at 100, the cost at 100, no gain or loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I have three separate answers. Yeah. <laughs> From, from six different to six different. This is this is a this is a. There's nothing in the IRS code that says in the case of a short sale, this is what you do. So, right. Well, but I think probably in the the IRS code, it, it's you know comes out of the sale of real estate, and if it's not your personal residence, generally a 1099 should be issued, and the person who handles the closing is responsible for that, so they're probably issuing the 1099 to cover themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, the, 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 this is going back to the to topic of short sales briefly. The the issuing of the 1099 for debt forgiveness is worse, I think, for the uh, seller yes. than the uh, deficiency judgment because deficiency judgment, the deficiency judgment, if the seller declares bankruptcy, that's going to go away with the bankruptcy. You can't run away from the IRS by saying, oh, sorry, right. declare bankruptcy, don't have any money. Right. <laughs> and usually the person who uh, is filing bankruptcy is, you know, hit the bottom of the barrel, and then here we come along with a 1099 where there's going to be some taxable income. And again, sometimes there's some exceptions in that that you know it may not be fully taxable, and that's you know that could probably be three more shows worth of discussions <laughs> to get into all the nitty gritty of that. But I think just because the 1099 has been issued doesn't necessarily mean you have taxable income. Okay. Okay. Very good. Now, one final question. We just have about three minutes left here, so uh, Vince got in just under the wire here. This is another good one. I started real estate investing this year. I would like to set up an LLC, but I don't think I can get it set up until 2006. 
will I be able to include my expenses on, for, in other words, for this year in the 2006 LLC's tax return? Uh, okay, I, I think we would approach this two ways. If you have out-of-pocket expenses this year, uh, you know, regardless of the LLC, you may be able to deduct them. Or again, sometimes if you're starting out, you have to add them up and then amortize them over a period of time. Or the other issue is if you're still getting started and you go in the next year, you could carry those costs forward in the next year and then write them off next year. And, and Vince, by the way, is from Illinois, George. He's from Elmhurst, Illinois, just, yes. just so you know. Um, and, the and, bear. And <laughs> There's a, um, uh, a, a, a another thing here, though, that initially in the startup costs of real estate investing, a lot of people, they haven't made any money yet, but what they're talking about is I did join a real estate group. Right. I bought a course, and, and just because you don't have an LLC set up, Vince, doesn't mean you can't write that off this year. Right, right. You, you'll just, you just call it a Schedule C or, you know. The, 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 Administrative you, expenses, things like that, yeah. So that's true, yeah, just because you don't have the LLC doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you can't deduct them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of a facts and circumstances issue. And, you know, probably three people starting out will have three different answers. This <laughs> kind of like your <laughs> debt question. There'll be two or three answers to how they could be handled. Well, I can tell you the first couple of years I was in real estate, I spent significant amount, amounts of money on education. And in, in, in some of my different real estate businesses, more on education that I yes. made that year. And I ducked it. I mean, I showed it as yes. a loss, even though I didn't have a formal entity showed uh, uh, set up at that time. So, Vince, go ahead and you know figure on writing those off on a Schedule C. Or if you've already bought a property, I think that you can probably write them off on your Schedule E. Right. Right, right. Yeah, I guess depending the type of entity would depend, or the type of business would depend whether it's a Schedule C or Schedule E issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Chuck, we got about one minute left. Is there anything that you would like to tell the folks out there listening that they need to do in the next 11 days? Uh, I would say do anything you can do to you know, generate expenses. Uh, if you're looking to buy something you know, between now and the next few months, say it's a computer that you're going to use in your rental business, you can put it on a charge card, Visa MasterCard, and deduct it this year rather than next year, even though you may pay the Visa card next year. The other thing is I think the IRS has realized in the last year or two if they do more audits, they collect more money. So with that, they have decided to add a bunch of IRS agents. So I think a lot more people are going to get a knock on the door in the next few years. What I'm really seeing the trend is that good records are key uh, in real estate, we talk about location, location, location. I think in tax, in the tax business today, we're talking records, records, records. So I think record keeping is becoming important. And that's probably one of those New Year's resolutions along with that mileage log that you talked about <laughs> that we need to continue past the 5th or 6th of, of January next year. All right. Thank you very much, Chuck Vonderhaar. We thank will you. certainly have you back in a few months to talk about tax planning for 2006 before it gets to be too late for a lot of people. In the meantime, we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.